Cha-cha-cha. Hello, it's Chappy again. Now, welcome along to the podcast. I'm not sozzled on gin and tonic or uh, or maybe an Irish coffee this early in the day. Um, but it's lovely to uh, lovely to have you here. Episode 38. We've got a, a bumper weekend editions of the podcast. We had one yesterday and we have one today. Uh, I was basically mummified in the podcasting world, given a shot of adrenaline. They've unraveled me. I uh, was wrapped in uh, old 1970s uh, ascots and cravats, and uh, and they put me in front of a microphone and just uh, well, to see what happens, Chappie. Um, it's, it, it's wonderful to be here, though. Um, it's an absolutely stunning, sunny, uh, watery winter's day um, here, uh, or watery sun. Uh, here in Colorado. Um, I hope you're having fun wherever you are. I do hope that you have a rather large uh, piece of uh, uh, breaded fish or battered fish and dipping it into a vat of uh, tartar sauce right now and uh, and, and an unbelievable amount of uh, malt vinegar as well. Oh, the malt vinegar. I I, I can bathe in that stuff, I, I tell you. Uh, or maybe you're eating a curry and you're using the naan to just get the remnants of the curry, uh, the last vestiges of the curry, uh, up onto the naan and eating it. Whatever you're doing at the moment, um, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hopefully it gives you a little bit of whimsy and uh, a few chuckles as you we move into the, uh, into the body of the weekend here. Um, anyway, some of the things that we uh, may or may not uh, be uh, examining today on the uh, on the podcast um, is uh, Antarctica frenzy is Google Earth user spots air vent with a dome. Um, we're also going to be looking at uh, Dad left with uh, out any eyebrows and hilarious face mask fail. Um, we, uh, we 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 may be uh, having some uh, ghostly fireside tales. Uh, we may have uh, some uh, uh, historical Tinder as well. Oh, hello, old bean. Joining us for a spotted breakfast, how baked beans make the English breakfast. Uh, Jenga ascending into the Toy Hall of Fame as well, which is uh, one of my favorite games of all. Um, Also, uh, (laughs) highway theft. Um, A Florida man arrested for having a pole on top of his car. Um... I'll be looking at one of the biggest suction devices ever. Um, also, my irritation with cyclists does continue uh, in today's uh, in today's podcast. Uh, more about me uh, wearing a possibly a Victorian bathing suit. Uh, back off a territorial ram called Rambo headbutts a farmer's car. Uh, we're going to have a pigeon special, a pigeon fancier special, um, and we're going to be looking at how. Uh, you rate, and, uh, and it's almost like a, a Miss World of Pigeons. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that. Um, uh, Rudy, Giul- Rudy Giuliani's hair dye was dripping in the week. Um, is, it, uh, is it a just-for-men problem that we're having there? Um, and uh, we're having an enigmatic English eccentric as well. Uh, I'll be introducing you to him uh, through the uh, through the course of the podcast here uh, over the course of the next hour or so. Uh, I'm thinking very very soon I'm going to uh, in- indulge in maybe some 
a little bit of instrumental Christmas music and some uh, maybe some jingle bells as well. Uh, I think that would be rather spiffing, don't you? Absolutely delightful. Um, and we're having a, a new version. So Scallywag Darts has been retired for the time being. Uh, and we've got a new little headline game called Trump or Trombone. And we'll be uh, introducing you to uh, that in the course of the podcast. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping you're going to absolutely love it and find it rather, rather delightful. Now, I'm just thinking, you know, just stretching here, maybe lifting a couple of cups of tea, a 400-gram bar of of Capri's chocolate. And uh, instead of barbells, I've got one hand with Nutella and then get the Capri spread on the other hand. Tell you, this is one hell of a workout here. Just just bring me some toast and I'll be uh, away with the fairies here. So episode 38, we are going to have two, um, two podcasts next week as well, possibly Wednesday and then, uh, and then maybe Friday. So look out for those uh, that they'll be, uh, they'll be fired off into the ether and hopefully uh, we'll be landing with you sometime in the course of next week. But uh, again, welcome to Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So in America, we have Thanksgiving this week, um, which isn't traditionally an English holiday. Uh, so still trying to get used to um, rather sort of, uh, you know, a plate where everything fits on it. Um, there's turkey and gravy, there's stuffing, there's always a sloppy mashed potato. And then there's like weird sort of canned fruit salad mixed in a sort of pistachio pudding uh, on the side. Uh, I, I just can't get used to it. I'm afraid I, I can't. It's it's like it's like putting uh, it's like having bangers and mash and having spotted dick on the side. It really wouldn't. Uh, it really doesn't do. But anyway, a chef and, and something that I like to try to introduce to any uh, Thanksgiving feast over the years uh, to our American friends uh, are the roast potato. So a chef shares trick to make perfectly crispy roast potatoes in just twenty minutes. Chef Dan Kluger uses new or baby potatoes to avoid time spent chopping and boiling the spuds before coating them in whipped egg whites to ensure they go crispy after just 20 minutes in the oven. Um, Every self-proclaimed master of the Sunday lunch will give you a different secret tip to ensure you get the perfect crispy roast potatoes. Whether it's setting them aside for three hours in the oven to achieve optimum results, adding bizarre ingredients like Marmite or doing a seven-minute shuffle. Every home cook has their way of doing things. But one chef has revealed his technique. He likes to keep things simple. And the best part, he says, the potatoes are ready in just 20 minutes. I don't believe this, by the way, but it's worth worth giving it a shot. The convenient method explained by Dan Kluger's cookbook, Chasing Flavor, Techniques and Recipes to Cook Fearlessly. And it might be a way you uh, cook, change the way you make roast dinners for good. The instructions are crispy salt and pepper potatoes involve no boiling, chopping or heating up oil and using eggs to achieve the crispy potato uh, perfection. Dan uses smaller baby or new potatoes so he doesn't waste time cutting the cutting up the spuds. He uh, whips egg whites in a, ro- in a bowl until no liquid remains and uses the mixer to coat the potatoes which remain whole. Once they're completely covered, he seasons the potatoes in salt and pepper, 
and anything else you fancy and put them in the oven for just 20 minutes at 200 degrees. The chef said the time needed in the oven may be slightly longer if you use larger potatoes. The trick is to get the crackling crispy skin on the potatoes is the egg whites. You don't want to whip the whites until they're foamy and no liquid remains in the bowl and then add the potatoes, toss them in until they're well coated and strain away the excess before adding any seasoning. I don't know about this. I mean, what I like to do is parboil them and uh, and then, um, you know, after being parboiled a little bit, maybe for ten, 10 minutes, is bash up the potatoes and they're cut up. They're not whole. They're not they're not new potatoes. They're older, the older variety of maybe a russet or something along those lines. And uh, and you just bash them up a little bit, you know, in the uh, in the in the colander and uh, and then a hot oil, goose fat, goose grease, anything like that will crisp up the potatoes. Maybe uh, sprinkle them with flour. I've, I've heard that works very, very as well. Um, but the egg whites, I don't know, sir, if I'm going to be introducing foamy egg whites to my roast potatoes. So as I said, the, the podcast is always carb-laden, but uh, we have another food story. So Nigella Lawson butters her toast twice, and Britain is getting really angry about it. There's a handful of uh, culinary quagmires that for no reason, and to the bafflement of the rest of the world, bitterly divide Britain. Uh, the correct pronunciation uh, of uh, scone, it's not scone, it's scone, for example, and what stage of the tea-making process one should add milk. Certainly don't put the, as I said before, don't put the tea in the bloody microwave and do it and with the milk in there. Do not do that. It is not British tea. Um, now, one of the country's favorite TV chefs has added another debate to the list. How exactly to butter toast? Nigella Lawson has drawn questions and a share of derision from Brits after demonstrating a technique on the uh, Nigella Eat, Cook, Repeat BBC show. The perfect method, uh, Lawson suggests, is not as obvious as you may think. Lawson taught viewers to spread butter on hot toast as it comes out of the toaster before letting it settle, applying a second layer of butter and then finishing with a sprinkle of salt. The first helps keep the toast uh, and gives the toast a fabulous crumpety bite. Oh, a buttery crumpet, baby. Um, stage two, ready for it. I need more butter so it'll stay golden and keep the golden patches on the surface. Lawson probably did not expect the uproar that would uh, that, that a method, a highly controversial method, uh, would have in the UK, uh, a country that loses its collective marbles when high street chains launches a new vegan sausage roll. Nigella shows the nation how to butter toast. Five minutes, I'll never get back. Nigella is the only person on the planet who can have me hanging around on her every word as she tells me how to butter toast. Uh, a sympathetic commentator says. Tabloids, including the Mail Online, The Sun, breathlessly reported on the mirth of some of Lawson's audience, while The Telegraph added fuel to the fire by submitting a strategy to a number of accomplished chefs, none of whom backed the double butter approach. I mean, I, I honestly think, you know, the more better, the more better the butter. The more butter, the better. Um, I, 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 truly, I truly do believe that. You want to soak the butter you want a you want a bath full of butter, melted butter, on that toast. That is the key, absolute key. You do not shy, do not cheat the butter. Is 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 the question here? I don't know. Um, I don't know about buttering it again later. It does soak into the bread though, so she may have a point. So you have a a fresh coating of butter on the top there. Could be the way forward. You know, Nigella could be a modern day genius. I, I think at this point.
So the first ever Christmas song for dogs has been released. Hearing the same holiday music over and over again uh, every year has now been a really a truly a human struggle. But now dogs can join in the fun, a song that claims to be the first ever Christmas single designed uh, exclusively for canines has been released. And early footage suggests is getting a strong reaction from the four-legged listeners. Raise the Woof was created based on scientific research into the ways dogs interact with sound and their input from the animal behaviorists, according to the food company Tails.com. It uses a reggae beat and sounds of bells, squeaky toys, and owners instructed to elicit a response from the listening dogs. Now, I've played UB40 before, and that does make dogs howl. I think it would make humans howl as well, to be honest. Videos posted online showing dogs seemingly reacting to the high-frequency sounds. The company said the track was devised with the help of a focus of 25 dogs who were played more than 500 sounds and analyzed their responses. Signs that dogs were enjoying the track includes alertness, uh, trying to discover where the s- sounds are coming from, head cocking or moving their ears to get a better listen. Now, I tried this earlier on, and I think it's a complete fallacy. I'm sorry, raise the woof. It, it's, 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 it's nonsense. It's anathema to believe that uh, this Christmas song is going to make the dogs do anything. Now, I played it earlier on, high volume, on the speaker, and not a dicky bird from the dog. Nothing came from the dog's mouth. They were asleep. Nothing, and then I uh, pulled out some bacon pieces out of the uh, out of the uh, out of the fridge, and they were alert. They were ready to go. Um, they were, um, you know, they were they were they were being prompt and tails wagging. They would have done anything at that point. So I don't think Raise the Worth is going to be put onto my Christmas playlist this year. So there's Antarctica frenzy as Google Earth user spots air vent with domes in the mountains. The self-proclaimed Earth watchman uh, said there were no signs of volcanic activity in the area that was described. Uh, the odd-looking section has been partly covered by a metallic man-made structure. A Google Earth conspiracy theorist has claimed to have spotted an air vent that goes underground in Antarctica. The truth seeker known as Mr. MBB333 on YouTube, said he received a set of coordinates from a fan and was amazed to discover what he believed was a thermal vent. Based on the measurements, using the tools on Google Earth, the area is roughly 150 feet wide with two distinctive features, a pitch black opening and a metal-like shield. Um, it's where all the X-Men go, I'm sure. So the so-called Earth Watchman explains why he thinks the area is not a frozen pond or lake. It looks like some sort of vent, a thermal vent that goes underground. You can tell that the snow is darker than any other snow in the surrounding area. I mean, could there be a Neanderthal Yeti commune drinking mammoth saliva and espresso and brownies? Maybe that's where Sarah Palin is these days. She lives amongst the, uh, uh, the abominable snowmen in Alaska, and she can see Russia. But maybe that's where she's hiding. She's hiding under that vent with a load of yetis and some sasquatches. Yes, we have another enigmatic English eccentric. It's Alexander Douglas, 10th Duke of Hamilton. It would take some time to list the Duke's full titles, as he's also known as the Duke of Brandon, a Marquess, held three earldoms and a handful of baronets. 
baronetesses. The Duke was obsessed with his lineage and the importance of his birth. When his successors failed to live up to his expectations, he began to plan for his death. This led to the Duke constructing a mausoleum 120 foot high. Having outbid the British Museum, he placed an Egyptian sarcophagus in which he planned to be buried. Unfortunately, the Duke had purchased a sarcophagus made for a princess. Uh, the Duke was rather taller than the average princess and became uh, concerned that he would not fit into the coffin. He, uh, we would lay in the sarcophagus from time to time, convince himself that it would fit in it. On his deathbed, he was still concerned that his body was too large and he instructed his family to double him up to make him fit. Uh, unfortunately, he was still too large and his feet had to be removed prior to the burial. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jenga finally ascends into the Toy Hall of Fame. It's not easy to get into the U.S. National Toy Hall of Fame. The first time Leslie Scott heard rumors her invention had been nominated, she knew her chances were slim. But the time she believed she was up against the undisputed king of imaginative childhood play, the cardboard box. This time, though, 15 years on and facing less fearsome competition, the uh, creative Jenga has been triumphant. On Hollywood Boulevard, uh, Britain is represented by the handprints of great actors from Dame Helen Mirren to Colin Firth. In the British Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we have the Beatles. Now in the Toy Hall of Fame, we have Jenga. I never knew it was actually a British game. The game, which involves 54 blocks in a tower and a steady hand, joins chess, dominoes, balls, marbles, and Monopoly in being uh, honoured by the National Museum of Play in New York City. Um... It's her first thought that, is, uh, that Jenga is a test of dexterity, and it's really defined her life. Uh, she was about 18. We had all these offcuts in the sawmill all over the place. They're intended uh, for children building blocks, but they're all roughly the same size. So with her two siblings, she devised a game to play them, stacking them in layers and then gently teasing them out of a block. Uh, thinking about gently teasing out of a block, I have heard that certain... Uh, Rather drunken rugby teams, and I don't know if American football teams would do this, but certain drunken rugby teams use uh, different sorts of appendage to move the blocks of Jenga away from the game. I will let you uh, think about that one for a second. Oh, hello, old Dean. Joining us for a spot of breakfast. Um, so I read this in the, in, in, in the Times in the week. Um, and uh, the writer... Uh, made most of uh, most of his time before lockdown, taking every opportunity to travel, staying in a succession of hotels, and uh, was struck while doing so the marker of the class divide, uh, and he had not spotted it before. The marker of the class divide on an English breakfast is baked beans. More specifically, how can you measure the poshness of any establishment by the amount of baked beans it permits on its full English breakfast? At the working class end of the scale, you have places that ensure your bacon, egg, sausage, fried tomato, fried mushrooms, black pudding, uh, fried and toasted bread, and sometimes chips uh, or chip potatoes come in a sea of baked beans. Somewhere in between, you have the sad compromise of breakfast featuring baked beans that have been parked carefully in a ramekin or replaced by home-cooked beans or butter beans in a tomato sauce. Ugh. Um, then at the poshest end, um, you have the worst thing of all, no beans to speak of. 
but uh, the hypothesis got the uh, corroboration it required when I learned about the unconventional life advice that David Cameron got from his father. He said, never sleep with a virgin, never get married until you're 26, never eat baked beans on a breakfast. But then uh, Jeff uh, Phillips, the politician, is in touch with the working classes. Cameron was, was at the toffs, described baked beans as the virus of the full English. They infect everything. They must be kept in a separate pot. I will not be taking questions. And it struck to me that maybe, uh, maybe in the spirit of healing cited by Joe Biden, we should not fight about how many beans or where the beans are placed on the breakfast plate. I do like, I like it. I like a dead sea of baked beans on my plate. I, I want everything to uh, to uh, probably sink to the bottom there. That's how many beans I want on my plate. And you've got so much bread on there. You need some sort of you need some liquid to to soak into the bread. And it's absolutely delicious with the uh, the the red sauce, the tomato ketchup, and also the brown HP Houses of Parliament sauce. Yum yum! Absolutely fantastic. Dad left without eyebrows in an hilarious face mask fail after covering his entire face. John Meachin left his partner and daughter in stitches after applying a peel-off face mask everywhere except his eyes, only to learn that he had made a painful mistake. Um, John Meachin had asked his partner Tracy Dougal to help cover his face with some of the blackhead face mask mix. When she refused, the 28-year-old decided to do it himself. Unfortunately for the dad of two, he followed Tracy's instructions to apply the mask everywhere except your eyes a little too closely, covering his entire face without realising how sticky the paste was. John was unable to remove the mask himself. Then when the time was up, and roped in Tracy's five-year-old daughter, Paige, to help as the pair filmed the hysterical uh, efforts. The scaffolder from Irvin said, I asked Tracy to put one on, and she said no, so I did it myself. Uh, and he put it on everywhere except the eyes, uh, but you weren't meant to put it on the eyebrows and the lips. Tracy is uh, barely able to speak as she attempts to remove the mask from her partner's eyebrows. Breaking the rule is actually waxing them, I swear to God. And now the poor chap, the poor fellow, does not have uh, any eyebrows anymore. And I think it's almost in celebration of Pulp Fiction's GIMP. Uh, I wonder if people have been employing GIMP masks during lockdown. The leather strap with the ball in the mouth would be effective, uh, effectively uh, stop you from getting COVID because you can't actually breathe. So no COVID particles could actually get into your uh, mouth, but you would suffocate uh, in turn. Oh, my dear cyclists. The irritating gruffness of when you're uh, walking along with the dogs to hear to the right, to the left, as you have to move onto the grass, away from the path as cyclists pass you, is getting absolutely irritating and an old, old story. Today I was less scraping um, a, a Maggie uh, number two off the path and uh, and then uh, once I got it into the bag uh, I heard the irritating uh, irritating call the clarion call that cyclists give is a clarion call of doom to the right to the left and then you have to move with the dogs up onto the grass um, but then it made me think that some of those same cyclists were probably going to be scraping remnants off their tires later. How I laughed. I do need a very small shovel that I can use. Uh, that actually, uh, I can use it for scraping and all that sort of dirty stuff. And, um, and then uh, attached to it is a catapult or a slingshot where I can actually fire 
the remnants from Maggie or any other dog at the said cyclists. Okay, so we've got our new little game of uh, Trump or Trombone, um, where we're going to align news stories of the week um, to uh, sad, horny-sounding trombones or the natural rumbling earthquake uh, of the tremendous, terrific Trump, which is also known as breaking wind and farting, obviously, in the UK. So is it going to be a sad trombone or a Trump? Both are probably as bad as each other. So here we go. Here we've got a nice raspberry. That's our raspberry. Or it could be the trombone. So with the Trump or the trombone... Uh, that's big baby Trump giving a raspberry there. Let's actually have that again. That's a baby Trump giving a raspberry. Um, and we have... Uh, oh, and there's another... There's a, We've got a whole um, cornucopia of raspberry effects here. And uh, also the trombone effects. So that's where we are. So it's a Trump or trombone. Uh, we, uh, we align the headlines uh, accordingly here. Um, and uh, and see uh, see what we find. So we've got grocery stealing Lake Tahoe bear released back into the wild. So we've got a, a, a grocery stealing uh, Lake Tahoe bear was uh, released back into the wild. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife relocated a bear in September. Um, the officials said it was uh, the same animal caught on camera stealing food from a grocery store, a gas station, convenience store, and birthday party. Uh, videos from at least two of the incidents were made. Uh, actually, did make uh, national uh, headlines. So I think uh, we actually have. Uh, so the poor people that were stolen. So the naughty bear was uh, was stealing uh, all of the groceries, uh, but apparently all he was doing is stocking up on extra soft Charmin toilet rolls because of the pandemic. So German court officially recognizes techno as a music. Germans don't really have a reputation of being fun-loving people, but there are thousands of jokes about how Germans don't understand humor. Uh, it might become a surprise that in Berlin, the capital of Germany, it's also the party capital of Europe. Really, the night club, uh, nightclubs are famous for throwing the most extreme parties on the continent. So Germany is also the, the birthplace of primary uh, producers of many genres of electronic music, or EDM, uh, Krautrock, as it's uh, sometimes called as well. Um, to them, the kind of music that's just a bunch of electronic noises laid over boom, boom, boom. Um, and uh, so the German, the German Federal Fiscal Court has officially ruled that EDM, more specifically, of the techno and house varieties, is indeed music. So there we go. We have the Trump baby. Yeah, giving us a... Uh, a little squeal and uh, and a trump, and um, yes, we have a raspberry too. Uh, so yes, so techno is now proclaimed as uh, as music, um, but I do believe that techno should have been recognised as real music in Germany in the eighties and nineties. But how on earth did the Hoff, David Hasselhoff, ever become a leading singer in Germany? He was even uh, singing when the Berlin Wall fell, bare-chested with his nude-coloured corset, singing, I'll be there for you from Baywatch. Um, let's say uh, that really wasn't the reason the wall fell, but it could have been. Um, and I was thinking, thinking about uh, the Hoff's nude corset, uh, allegedly that he wears, 
I, uh, I don't think I need one of those strap-on six-packs, but a nude corset would serve the purpose, so I wouldn't have to wear the Victorian bathing suit. Uh, maybe you could adapt the strap-on um, plastic beach six-pack. I'd be careful what I'm saying here. Uh, with hidden compartments. So it's a, it's a, it's a plastic beach six-pack with hidden compartments doubling up as a discreet picnic hamper. So you could have your sandwiches in the six-pack. You could have a condiment section, a cake section. Uh, cutlery uh, could be a problem, though, because it could cause coastal castration. So ancient Viking burial ground ruthlessly desecrated by surprising culprits. The Vikings, the legacy, those fascinating, brutal seaborne plunderers from Scandinavia, are pretty much a staple of popular culture. And there have been a number of uh, popular uh, uh, TV shows recently about Norse mythology, um, surprisingly progressive at the time. Um, and who doesn't like hearing stories about their pillaging ways? So apparently, uh, recently, um, there was a there was a, a Viking uh, settlement um, that was uh, in burial grounds located at Optal, a municipality in central Norway. The Van Grave site fell victim to ruthless grave desecration. But the uh, so the account of the crime began on Wednesday, November the fifth, and the caretakers of the Van site discovered that many of the burial grounds had been dug up. This is absolutely unbelievable, uh, said the county's archaeologist Christian Preswald. The digging must have happened Tuesday night or before dawn on Wednesday. Based on early reports, uh, experts suspected uh, that the desecrators had used specialized drills to open the graves. Um, many organic finds have been lost and many items have been lost when the air enters those graves. Um, but, it, th but the case actually uh, was closed uh, because it turns out um, it will be actually pretty hard to uh, prosecute the culprits uh, because the culprits uh, were uh, not actually uh, human beings, they uh, they were actually badgers. So you know you've got the situation where the uh, the, the pillager uh, became the pillaged as Brock Badger fights back. So one certainly understands owning dogs and cats, uh, maybe gerbils and hamsters as well, or any of the small pets, definitely. But pigeons, um, what is it, what's up with pigeon fanciers? People who own, care for, and race pigeons. So pigeon fancier, and the definition of fancier, one that has a special liking or interest. A person who breeds or grows a particular animal or point uh, or plant for points of excellence. So um, it was it's very interesting um, because they have their whole world of pigeon fancying here and racing. They, they actually were sent um, behind enemy lines in Germany during World War II um, and uh, picked up some very vital information, which is absolutely fin uh, fantastic and fascinating uh, that they were involved uh, in coding and, and, and decoding. Um, not personally, uh, but bringing some of the codes back and sending messages across the front line. Um, but, but, but the very interesting thing is uh, there are um, standardized uh, requirements uh, within the pigeon world um, when you're uh, determining a pigeon or judging a pigeon um, who is, I guess, fanciable. Um, so this is from judging standard judging of the Indian fantail pigeon 
uh, as adapted in June 1980 by the Indian Fantail Club of America. The judging of the Indian Fantail is divided into six main areas, stance, tail, body condition, colouring and markings. Uh, so they awarded uh, stance 15 points. The proper stance reflects a harmonious blending of all parts, providing balance and a natural stylishness. The carriage of the head and neck should be such that they're perpendicular to the ground with the eyes directly above the tips of the toes. Uh, faults uh, in this situation, carrying the breast too high, uh, head carried back too far, tail carried too uh, nearly parallel to the ground, shaking of the neck. Uh, for, you get 30 points for the tail. The tail should be large, full, round, held upright and cover from three quarters to a seven, seven eighth of a complete circle. Tail feathers should reach uh, one and a half to two inches. Who says size doesn't matter? Uh, faults would be a cone-shaped or scooped tail, uh, a mushroom-shaped tail. That's Trump would never make it in the world of pigeons. And feathers uh, making less than three quarters of a complete circle. The body gets 30 points. A medium-sized bird, about 14 to 18 ounces. When all else is equal, the advantage should go to the larger bird. Um, head, eyes and neck get five points. Um, and uh, the crest five points, uh, the breast and back five points. The breast must be round and full, breast feathers to cover the wing butts. Um, so there we go. Uh, you, you have the whole um, situation here. It's like a Miss World of Pigeons here, or a Mr. World of Pigeons. Um, but you know, with Trump being out of work, he could actually start being a pigeon fancy. He could judge the Miss or Mr. World of Pigeons, um, you know, but I'm sure... As with anything at the moment, it's ruffling all of his feathers. Okay, so we have another game of historical Tinder. So we take a, an infamous despot, monarch, a slightly dubious politician or leader, and we uh, try to decide if the swing, uh, the axe will be swinging to the right or the left, um, or does he escape that uh, and ends up in some sort of uh, luxury, luxury boudoir with uh, hot and cold running men and women. Um, but this week we have Vlad the Impaler. Vlad number three, Dracula, better known as the gruesome moniker Vlad the Impaler, was a 15th century ruler um, uh, of a part of Romania who became notorious for his rampant use of torture, mutilation and mass murder. Vlad's uh, military exploits saw him praised by many as a hero, but his unmatched cruelty and penchant for barbaric executions often against his own people, contributed to his reputation as being history's most cold-blooded of leaders. Vlad victims were supposedly killed for unspeakable means, including disembowelment, beheading, and even being skinned or boiled alive. Uh, still, his uh, preferred method was impalement, a grisly process in which the victim had a wooden stake slowly driven through his body uh, and was left to die of exposure. After one famous military victory against the advancing Ottomans, Vlad supposedly had 2,000 men, or 20,000 men, uh, impaled. When the second wave of invaders arrived, they said they have immediately, uh, they immediately retreated. Uh, they immediately, uh, they immediately retreated upon seeing the grotesque forest of corpses, according to some accounts. Vlad enjoyed dining among the thousands of impaled bodies and would even dip his bread into the blood of the victims. Uh, I think I prefer balsamic vinegar and oil, to be honest. Uh, but this bizarre practice, along with the name Dracula and Vlad's birthplace, Transylvania, would partly inspire the vampire in Bram Stoker's 1897 novel, Dracula. So I think, uh, I think in this case, uh, there's no doubt uh, whatsoever um, we're, we're, we're going to um, 
I think we have uh, maybe a, a situation where we have Vlad the Impaler. Uh, it's probably a little bit of that going on. There's certainly none of that going on, uh, but there is a there is a skull crushing uh, body with a club and probably being impaled. I would say. Just a quick question. Um, so when you have little hair in your head and it's just at the sides, why on earth in the world would you decide to dye it? And this is what Rudy Giuliani was doing. And obviously during a um, rather uh, stressful court case where he hasn't actually practiced uh, law and been in court for 30 years, he started sweating and his just for men, uh, rather chestnut brown color was dripping down his face. But I understand when you've got a full barn at a full head of hair, uh, that may one may want to dye it, uh, but in Rudy's case, he's got the little bits at the side. Why bother? Why bother dyeing your hair chestnut brown when you have uh, barely uh, barely enough hair to cover one of the smallest heads? And he does have a very large, uh, slightly misshapen uh, Voldemort-looking head. So with the knights drawing in, it's rather perfect, I think absolutely perfect at this time of year to have another fireside ghost tale and uh, this week it's Hickling Broad in Norfolk in the UK. In summer the broad is alive with laughter and enjoyment of thousands of pleasure seekers who turn its picturesque waters into a congested tangle of every conceivable type of sailing craft. In winter as the cold winds rustle the reeds and the water is so picturesque in the summer have turned to dark, melancholic ice. Those who have caused to be in the neighbourhood often gather round blazing log fires, ale in hand, and listen. The wind may rattle the windows, its mournful, whistling, howling like a banshee across the rooftops. But every so often there see it sounds from the depths of the broad, the rhythmic tattoo of a distant drum. They nod to one another, knowing that the phantom drummer is once again abroad. He lived in the early years of the 19th century, a poor drummer boy who fell in love with the daughter of a rich and influential man. Knowing that his father would never consent to the marriage, they wed in secret. Each night they would meet in a small hut on the edge of Hickling Broad. In winter, when snow blanketed the countryside and the broad was frozen over, she would come to the humble love nest and await his arrival. Skating on the frozen ice, he would surround his approach by beating on his kettle drum. Then one night as they waited, listening to the beat of the approaching husband, all went quiet. The ice had given way and sent a lover to a chilling death deep beneath the frozen broad. And so it was on that winter's night when people stay huddled indoors, their windows bolted tight against the winter winds that the rhythmic tattoo of a ghostly drum sound across the broad and the phantom drummer resumes his eternal search for the girl whose heart he won but his spirit was lost long ago. So autumn and all autumnal activities are upon us. Um, but just yesterday, I think I saw one of the biggest suction devices ever. And that's uh, not a euphemism of what Trump said to Stormy Daniels. It, uh, it was this huge um, suction device, the Hoover vacuum. It was sucking up pine needles, loads of them, thousands of them, millions of them. It had a huge suction tube. I think James Dyson needs to get into the gig of uh, uh, sucking up pine needles. I think it. I think it could be fantastic for him. But I was just thinking though that you could use um, all the excessive pine needles as a rather primitive acupuncture. You could roll around 
in the skip of needles. Uh, it's, uh, it's almost like Heineken reaching uh, the parts that other needles cannot reach. Uh, I see it almost as uh, organic, natural revitalization. So we have another lovely poem uh, towards the, the subject of Thanksgiving, and the poem's called Butter. My love, mother loves butter more than I do, more than anyone. She pulls chunks off a stick and eats it plain, explaining cream spun around into butter. Growing up, we ate turkey cutlets sautéed in lemon and butter, butter and cheese on green noodles, butter melting in small pools in the hearts of Yorkshire puddings. Butter better than gravy, staining white rice yellow, butter glazing corn in slipping squares, butter the lava in white volcanoes of hominy grits, butter softening in a white bowl to be creamed with white sugar, butter disappearing into whipped sweet potatoes with pineapple belter, butter melted and curdy to pour over pancakes, butter licked off the plate with warm syrup. When I picture the good old days, I am grinning greasy with my brother, having watched the tiger chase his tail and turn to butter. We are mumbo-jumbo children despite historical revision, despite our parents' efforts, glowing from the inside out 100 megawatts of butter. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast this week. It's been fabulous to have you here. Fabulous for your company. Uh, I will be back again. I think we're going to have two editions of the podcast, probably Wednesday and Friday this uh, this coming week. Um, but uh, have a lovely week until then. It's Chappie out. And, uh, and this is the end of the 38th edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. Toodle pip, people.